Genesis chapter 5, the whole chapter, says this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them. And he named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Let's pray together. This is your word, God. And all of scripture, we believe, is breathed out by God and profitable. And so, Lord, we pray now that you would teach us from your word, by your spirit, that you would receive all glory and honor and praise for who you are and what you have done and the life that is received through faith in you. And so, God, would you teach us? Would you anoint my lips? Would all that is said and done, God, be true to your word, spoken to your people by your spirit, Lord. And we don't ask uh, that you would only teach us, Lord, but we ask that you would transform us, change our hearts, that we might walk with you and live. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Well, throughout our time today, I want us to continue to ask the question, where is my life going? Where is my life going? This isn't just a question for the youth in the room. This isn't just a question for our college students who are trying to figure things out and what they're doing with their lives, but our retired brothers and sisters as well. Where are you headed? Where is your life going? Maybe you have plans and dreams for the future, or maybe you have no more plans or dreams for the future, either because they've been fulfilled or they've been abandoned. And still, all of us, if there is breath in our lungs, if there is blood in your veins, your life is going somewhere. There is a trajectory. You are headed to a destination and it would be wise to understand what that destination is. I spent the first five years after high school floundering. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I had no idea what I should even study or go to school for. I, I had multiple jobs. I changed my major a half a dozen times. My friends that I graduated high school with are beginning to graduate college, and I am finishing up my fifth year at City College. Just ashamed, fearful, wondering what in the world I'm going to end up doing with my life. I did know one thing. There was one thing that I absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, knew that I did not want to do. I did not want to be a pastor. <laughs> That's the truth. God had other plans. For those of you who are saying, like, I will never be a pastor, watch out. I think the first step to being a pastor someday is telling God you'll never be a pastor. And he says, watch it. I didn't want to. I wanted nothing to do with pastoral ministry at all. And so partially or mostly a lot of my floundering in life was running from God's call on my life, was running from what he wanted to do. And yet patiently and providentially, he was working on my heart until I was willing or partially willing to walk in step with the plans that he had for me. And so do you know where your life is going? And do you know whether or not you are walking in step or out of step with God's plans for your life? So we've been walking through Genesis together. And chapters one through four have been about this beautiful world that God has made and, and creating humanity in his own image to live with him in this beautiful garden paradise that he made to be a temple for his own presence, for his people to dwell with him in this world that God had made. But then in chapter three, humanity sins and they are forced to walk out of the garden to, to walk away from God's paradise and God's presence and experience the difficulty of the world away from relationship with God. And so ultimately, because of sin, pride and violence, as we, as we read about in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel and Lamech, pride and, and violence and death increase in the world. But God promised that one day a child would be born 
uh, the, the, the offspring of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent and undo the rebellion that the serpent led into the world through humanity's sin. And so now in chapter five, we step away from Cain's family, which we've talked about the last several weeks. We kind of step out of Cain's family and we look at Seth's family and we see how the other half of the world is living. And the reader of scripture is supposed to be asking, where is the seed of the woman? Where is the offspring of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent? It's not Cain. He killed his brother. Is it Seth? Is it Enosh? Is it Kenan? Is it Jared? Is it Mahalalel? Is it all of these people? Is this the seed of the woman who is to come and deliver humanity? But before we get too far into our text, before we get too far into chapter five, we realize um, that Seth's family isn't living all that differently from Cain's family. Specifically, even though they're having children and living outrageously long lifespans, everybody dies. Or, or rather, almost everybody dies. And this is the key to understanding our text and understanding where our own lives are going. See, every person in the genealogy in Genesis chapter 5, apart from Enoch, follows the same pattern. Every single genealogy follows the same pattern. When so-and-so had lived X number of years, he fathered a son. So-and-so lived after he fathered a son X number of years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of so-and-so were X number of years and he died. Every single one follows the same pattern. They lived, they had kids, they lived some more, and they died. They lived, they had kids, they lived some more, and they died. They lived, they had kids, they lived some more, and they died. And so the Bible teaches us through repetition. If the Bible repeats something, it's significant. We should listen. And the repetition of Genesis 5 creates this beating drum. He died, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. And so even as life and humanity is increasing in the earth, as fast as life is increasing, so is death. Every, almost every single one dies. But the Bible doesn't only teach through repetition. Sometimes it teaches through interrupting the repetition. And so in the middle of this genealogy, a man named Enoch is born. Look at how his entry in the genealogy is different. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. See, he lives... He has kids, but then the author describes the way he lives differently. Enoch's life that he lived is defined as walking with God. And when you expect him to die, he doesn't. He was not, or literally he was not found for God took him. So he follows the pattern perfectly, except 
to point out that he lived differently. And so his end was different than the rest. See, Enoch escapes death. And when so many people want to focus on the, the, the lifespans in Genesis, many people have written books about scientific evidence for these long lifespans in Genesis, that somehow the gene pool or the environment that they lived in was more conducive for long life, maybe. That might be the case. Maybe there's, uh, some have, have speculated that, that they operated on a mathematical counting system different than base 10. And so if we just like understood their counting system, then this would all just fit into realistic human lifespans that we're aware of today. Possibly. The author doesn't say because that's not his point. Oftentimes we ask questions of the text that the author has no intention of asking and then we get mad at the Bible or mad at God for not answering our questions when we're asking the wrong questions. So the point that the author is trying to make is that we will all experience one of two ends. Either your life is going to the grave or going with God. And the difference, the determining factor of where your life is going is contingent upon whether or not you are walking with God. See, throughout the Bible and and in our own contexts as well, walking is a metaphor for life. We walk through life like we walk anywhere. We move through life and we encounter various uh, uh, scenery and, and situations and terrain. And at times it's, it's pleasant and beautiful. You go for a walk in nature and, and you see the, 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 listen to the birds and you see the animals and the flowers. And, and especially now is like spring is, is, is almost here and things are starting to bloom. And so you go and you take a walk and it's pleasant. And sometimes uh, you, you go for a walk places, you go on a hike, you end up in treacherous situations. We go through life and we see various scenery and, and, and beautiful things and encounter some, some downhill, uphill, you know, all of these things. And sometimes, you know, we go for a walk and it's, and it's flat and boring because we're only doing it for the cardio. Cardio is dumb. <laughs> but no matter where you're walking, no matter what the scenery you, you get to see, or even if you're just doing it to, to raise your heart rate a little bit, it is always better in good company. Going for a walk is better in good company. Shortly after my wife and I met, we went on a date. Uh, we went for a walk at La Parisima Mission, which is still to this day the only good reason to go to Lompoc. It's beautiful. Love La Parisima Mission. Uh, and we're going for a walk. I honestly, I can't tell you uh, what we talked about. Can't tell you if we saw any like wild animals or anything super cool. Um, but that walk absolutely changed my life. It wasn't about the conversation. It wasn't about the scenery. It was about who I was with. 
And it was in that walk on this loop through La Parisma Mission that I started to realize, wow, this is somebody that I could walk through life with. This is somebody that I could be with, someone that I could enjoy being around. The rest of it didn't matter. I was, I was with her. And that was the first time that I asked Katie to be my girlfriend. We had the DTR, right? We defined the relationship. And I said, I said, you know, will you be my girlfriend? And that was the first time that she told me no. Again, I was smitten. She needed some convincing. Uh, spoiler effect. I want her over. It's fine. But that's a story for another time. And so you can know today. You can know today where you are going. You can know today where you are walking. You can know today where your life is headed, whether to the grave or to the presence of God, if you know that you are walking with God. It doesn't matter what you experience. When you're with somebody that you love, it's about being with that person. And in life, we're going to go through all kinds of crazy things and be tempted to wonder where we're headed. We can be confused and not know the the, the moment-by-moment decisions, but we can know the ultimate destination. And you can know today where you're going, whether to the grave or with God, if you know today that you are walking with God. If you've ever been on a, on a tour in a crowded place, you've gone to Europe or something, you're visiting the sites and you're surrounded by people. And at times you get lost in a, in a, in a particular, whether you're in a museum and you're looking at a painting or a sculpture, or you're in a, you know, ruins and you're just mesmerized by, you know, the ancient history there, you can look up and go, oh my goodness, where's my tour guide? But they have this flag, right? A lot of them, they'll hold this thing up and you're like, oh, red flag, there it is. And you go and you meet up with your crew. We need today to know that God is waving a massive flag. Look over here. No matter where you are, no matter what distractions you get carried away with, God is raising the flag. Walk with me. I am here. You don't need to look at anything further. Come to me and I will show you the way. In life, we need to know where God is. Otherwise, we're going to get lost. And we might get lost in what seems like good things. You know, like a museum, beautiful things. But then we don't know our way. So we might get lost and we need to walk with God. Now, there are many ways that people throughout history have attempted to walk in step with the divine. Okay, some of them maybe appear not to be so bad. Maybe some of them do, but in the end, they all fail. All of humanity's attempts to walk with God fail. See, the first one is paganism. Paganism In pagan religions, the gods are in control of fate, right? They're in control of your destiny and they have determined where your life is going and how you are going to get there, but they were able to be influenced. And so you could earn their favor or discern their will by making sacrifices and following particular particular, uh, rituals. God is not a pagan deity. The one true God is not a fickle God with 
with uh, just trying to wait for you to make him happy through all of your sacrifice and all of your rituals before he'll finally listen to you and answer your prayers. And yet, this same kind of paganism is still alive in a variety of ways and even creeps into the church at times. One way is astrology. Okay, astrology is looking up at these little gods in the sky and trying to discern your fate by the movements of the heavens. It's paganism. Okay, and and trying to understand what he's doing by where Venus is in relationship to Jupiter. Who cares? They're beautiful and that's it. Another way is through uh, transcendental meditation, okay? Transcendental meditation in Eastern religions is the belief that the only way you can commune with the divine, the only way you can experience the presence of the divine is actually to transcend this physical world, this material world, and your spirit be united momentarily with some divine uh, state and, and, and being, Okay, but the good news of Scripture is that God is in our world. Okay, God has made, he's not outside of this world. He is in our world. And so we don't need to transcend anything to commune with him. He can be with us. We can walk with him in this world. Maybe paganism is is not your cup of tea, Uh, Maybe you are prone to earn God's favor through legalism. See, practically though, legalism, we'll define that in a bit, is no different than paganism. You may not believe in all of these other deities. You You may know that you believe in the one true God. You believe in the God of Scripture. But your meticulous obedience is your way of earning God's favor and discerning his will. Instead of offering sacrifices in pagan temples to twist some deity's arm, you come to God with your ledger of good works and say, God, you owe it to me to do good things to me. You owe it to me to answer this question. You owe it to me to give me good things because look at how much I've done for you. Look at my obedience. Look at the sins that I've rejected. Look at the righteousness that I've pursued. God, you're lucky to have me. And if you don't do what I say, you just might not have me anymore. It's legalism. If you've ever been frustrated with God because of something that's going wrong in your life and you've pointed to all of the things that you've done as a reason that he should do better for you. That's me all the time. I'm so tempted to just like, God, look, look, at, look at what I'm doing. And it's this legalistic attempt to twist God's arm and treat him like some pagan deity whose favor I need to earn or whose will I need to discern through all the little things that I can do for him. Now, don't hear me say that righteousness and obedience is unimportant. It's incredibly important, okay, as a response to what God has done, but it does not earn his favor, does not twist his arm. The third way that people try to walk with God, I'm going to call 
mysticism. Okay, now mysticism, depending on your context, your understanding of mysticism, is not necessarily bad. Okay, in certain Catholic and Orthodox concepts, uh, mysticism is the desire to operate in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. That's a good thing. Okay, but classically, mysticism, by definition, is an attempt to spiritually acquire certain knowledge that is normally unattainable by the intellect. To, to spiritually acquire some knowledge that you would have no other way of knowing by, 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 again, like transcending some reality and receiving some word from God, which again, is not necessarily bad. God speaks to his people. He reveals himself. But the problem comes is when we refuse to move, we refuse to make decisions, or we operate in fear until God gives us some word or some dream or some whatever. And so we go to the grocery store and we're like, Crest or Colgate? I don't know. Holy Spirit, teach me. I'm, look, you're laughing. I know people who have done this. Or just, I don't know, eggs or oatmeal, Holy Spirit, come and reveal to me. I don't want to mock the desire for the Spirit to, to lead. God's Spirit is present and active and sometimes tells us to do things that are outside of what we would normally comprehend ourselves. But to be paralyzed and refuse to make a choice. Let's take something that's not so silly. Where do I go to school? What do, I, what do I major in? What career path do I go on? Who do I marry? Where do I live? Do I rent for a little while longer or do I purchase a home? Those important decisions. And we're so paralyzed with fear as though God doesn't want us to have good things that we can make the wrong decision and then somehow the rest of our life is gonna be cursed because we ate the wrong breakfast or you know, whatever it might be. But if, if, if we love Jesus and are not in rebellion against him, many times God just tells us, what do you want? What do you, what do you want to major in? What career path do you want to choose? What city do you want to live in? What, what do you want to do? And we're so worried that we make the wrong decision and then somehow we're going to leave God over there and, he, and we're no longer walking with him. This causes us to over-spiritualize everything and look for some greater meaning in words or situations. And the problem with this is it turns walking with God into a game of hide-and-seek. It's believing that God doesn't actually want to lead you, that God doesn't want to, to show you the way and you have to like trick him. You have to seek him out. The reason that all of these fall short is because it bases a relationship with God in what we do for him. It bases our relationship with God in what we are doing for him. We sacrifice the right sacrifices and then God will hear our prayers and show us favor. If we perform the right acts of righteousness, then God will have to walk with us. And we just, if we just look in the right places and, 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 and then God will finally come out of his hiding and give us the answers to life's riddles and then disappear again until the next time we need to make a big decision in life. In the end, it's futile because it's all an attempt to earn our own way back into 
God's presence. But Hebrews 11 says that it was because of Enoch's faith that he walked with God and escaped death. Listen to this, Hebrews 11, verse five. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. And so for us, it's the same way. The way we are going to walk with God is the same way that Enoch walked with God. We don't earn our way into God's presence or into his favor. It's not about what, he, what we can do for him. It's about what he has done for us. So I read a, a quote earlier this week, and I wish I could remember where it, it came from, but it said, the only thing worse than feeling lost is believing that nobody is looking for you. Now, some of you today may feel lost. You may feel like you don't know where you are and you don't know where you're going and you don't know what you need to do to walk with God. You don't know what you need to do to be like Enoch, to be given power over death. You don't know where to go. You don't know your trajectory. You don't know and you feel lost. But the good news of Jesus is that God is not waiting for you to find him. Okay, he has come to find you. See, what we need to realize today is that in Christ, God walks with us. Okay, through faith in Jesus, God is not waiting for you to figure anything out. Through faith in Christ, God walks with you. He has come to you. When we try to look up into the heavens and analyze the stars or, or trying to put coincidences in life together to discern some like alternate spiritual reality, God has said, look to my son. I have come to you. I have come to walk with you. You don't need to bring me down uh, to, to earth. You don't need to somehow ascend to me. I have come to you to walk with you. Jesus is God. Come to walk with us. John chapter one says that he is the word who became flesh and dwelled among us. Literally, this word dwelled is, is tabernacled among us. It recalls that when the children of Israel were navigating a treacherous wilderness. But the Spirit of God dwelled in the sanctuary of the tabernacle that they carried with them, that though it was treacherous, though they didn't know the way, they knew that God was with them and they knew that the Spirit would lead, that the, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire would guide the way. And so they knew that they could follow God because God was with them. And so you may not know what life holds for you. Look, as a church, we may not know what life holds for us in five and a half months when we leave our home and wander the treacherous wilderness to find another location. We don't know what that is going to look like. But God has come to walk with you in Christ. Jesus has come to walk with us. And so we don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid of making some decision in life so long as it's not sinful and rebellious against God. You don't need to worry about making some decision that's going to shipwreck your life. Because Jesus said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God has come to be with you. 
And so we don't need to be afraid. See, like Enoch, Jesus walked with God. Jesus was perfectly faithful, trusted God completely, trusted the Father completely in all of his life, in everything that the Father would have him do. And like Enoch, he could have escaped death. When the, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders are coming to, to attack him, when he's hanging on the cross, he, he says, do you not know? I could say one word and the father would deliver me by a legion of angels. He says, nobody takes my life from me. I give it willingly. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to pick it back up again. He could have escaped death because of his righteousness. But because of his desire to trade places with you, he willingly goes to the cross and willingly received your death, the death that he didn't deserve so that you could receive the life that you don't deserve. Like Enoch, he could have escaped death, but he chooses it because he wants you to escape death. And on the third day, he raises again from the dead. And like Enoch lives never to die again so that you would also know that you can escape the grave and go with God. The way to escape the grave and to go with God is to walk with God. The way to walk with God is to follow Jesus. Jesus comes to his disciples and says, follow me. Time and time again, follow me, follow me, follow me. And they literally walked with God because he had come to walk with them. And so by faith, if you follow Jesus, trusting in who he is and what he has done by the cross and his resurrection from the dead to fulfill the law on your behalf and to take the penalty of death in your place, then you can know today that you are not going to the grave, but going with God. As in Jesus' own words in John eleven twenty five through 26, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks the sisters the question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And so Jesus' question to Mary and Martha that day in John chapter 11 is, do you believe this? If not, then you're lost. Genesis 5 says the grave awaits, just like almost every other person. The grave awaits. But if you do believe this, then by faith you know that even though you may not know exactly how you are going to get there, you know where your life is going. You are on your way to an eternity in his presence because the grave can't hold you. Christian, The grave can't hold you. If you are in Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus, the grave will not hold you. You are promised to be resurrected from the dead, resurrected into the kingdom of God, resurrected to walk in God's presence forever. 
And so now along the way, you're going to need to make decisions, really, really important decisions about life and career and all of these things. But today, this is the most important decision that you can possibly make. Do you believe this? Do you believe that life is found in Jesus and in nothing else? It's going to be tempting to fall into some form of earning God's guidance and feeling like you deserve to know where you're going, but trust that he walks with you and live your life to the glory of God. It's been said before, love Jesus and do whatever you want. Love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you're not going to do the things that Jesus doesn't want you to do. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. See, obedience and righteousness, they're important. But they're not the way we earn favor. They're because by grace, we've received God's favor. And it's a joy to follow him. And so love Jesus. Trust Jesus. Follow Jesus. And know that God in Christ is walking with you, will not leave you, will not forsake you, and is leading you into an eternal paradise in his presence. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would fall on your people. You would send your spirit to fall on your people, to pour the love of the Father in our hearts by the Holy Spirit to know that that you are walking with us, to sense your presence. Lord, we pray for more of your presence in this place. More of your presence, more of your power. Lord, more of your nearness to know that right now in today's life, all that is going on and all that we need to know, we have the most important thing, which is you. And so God, I pray that we would even now knowing that there are things to do when we leave this place, that we would linger in this place, that we would sit in your presence, that we would rest at your feet and know that you are with us. Whatever the day holds, whatever the week holds, the year, our lives, whatever experience we're we're going through, whether pleasant or painful, Lord, bring us near to your presence that we may know and believe that Jesus, you are with us. Stir up in our hearts now worship. Lord, right now as the body of Christ gathers, you are with us. As God's people are, are together, Christ is with us. When we worship together in this place, as the children of God, the redeemed people of God, we worship in your presence. So Holy Spirit, manifest your presence in our hearts. Manifest your presence in this place. And Jesus be exalted in our songs, in our prayers, in the meditations of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.